Hello and welcome to a history of the United States, episode 16, Bacon Begins. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want it to continue, then please consider signing up for membership. You can do this by going to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and clicking on the PayPal subscription button. For the cost of only $5 a month, you get access to a whole bunch of extra episodes. What could be more fun? Special thanks to our newest pioneer, Listener Jack. Thanks, I couldn't do this show without you. Last time out, the frontiersman grew sick of Berkeleyan incompetence, which is really quite startling when you think about the reaction to his arrival in the 1640s. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, I guess. The frontiersman gathered under the leadership of Nathaniel Bacon, invaded Jamestown, overthrew the government, and installed Nathaniel as General Bacon, with a commission to attack the Native Americans. General Bacon had a few political goals before he left, such as banning some of Berkeley's favourites from office, and demanding that the letters Berkeley had sent back to London with his wife, which called Bacon a rebel and asked for military aid, be contradicted, and to punish the captain who had shot at his ship during his arrest. These were hastily agreed to. Berkeley wanted no part of this, but he adopted a frankly... Yossarian-esque attitude, that he couldn't do the king any good if he was dead. So, he might as well acquiesce to Bacon's demands and live. With this agreed, war was declared, quote, against the barbarous Indians, end quote. This would not be Berkeley's expansion of the plantations. All trade was stopped, and the war would be financed by selling captured slaves and land to the gentry who had sided with Berkeley in an attempt to get them on side. There was also administrative reform, as the county sheriffs were limited to a single year in office, and the tax system was fixed, so that tobacco would be collected at market value. There was also a change in voting law. Berkeley had restricted the vote in 1670 to landed men, excluding the freemen. This was undone, and Freeman once again had the vote. Before he could complete the full extent of his political revolution, General Bacon was forced into action by a reported attack that eight colonists had been killed in New Kent County, a site only 23 miles from Jamestown. General Bacon moved north and began gathering recruits, offering an escape to indentured servants and to slaves, although small freeholders were resistant. They feared that their lands would be attacked if they left, either by the Native Americans or by encroachment from the landed gentry. Bacon's support was further to the north, and one man of note he attracted to his force was Colonel John Washington. Washington had a reputation for hostile the natives, to put it very mildly. In case you were wondering, yes, John Washington was the grandfather of the more famous George. Within a month, General Bacon had gathered an army together. 600 infantry and 700 cavalry 
along with two months' worth of provisions. As soon as he set off west of Gloucester County, heading towards the James Falls, the notables of Gloucester rushed to Berkeley and delivered to him the Gloucester Petition. Clearly, the Gloucester Petition was a list of complaints about Bacon's political, economic, and military actions. His men had taken whatever they wanted, and to draft whoever they wanted, ignoring draft exemptions. And they showed no respect. Honestly, when dealing with the gentlemen of yesteryear, I love these opinions on respect. We saw it very early on in episode 2, when John Smith was to be hanged in the Caribbean. He was more upset about being hanged instead of shot than he was about the fact he'd been sentenced for execution. Gentlemen were shot, commoners were hanged, and he was supremely offended by this insult to his honour. We have the same situation here. These men were of course annoyed that Bacon and his men were stealing their stuff, but what really made them angry was that they were being rude about it. They didn't show the proper amount of deference while they were stealing their stuff. I mean, come on, sure you can be a thief, you gotta do what you gotta do, but at least be polite about it. Berkeley immediately went to Gloucester County to assess the situation, and told the inhabitants that Bacon did not have a commission from him. Rather, he had forced it out of the assembly. He then gathered the militias of both Gloucester County and Middlesex County, supposedly to fight the Native American threat. He gathered a force some 1,200 strong, but he then told them that they would not be fighting the Native Americans. They would go defeat that rebel scoundrel Bacon. But they had gathered together thinking they were fighting the Natives, exactly who Bacon was fighting. They began muttering, Bacon, 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 and then started to just leave. Berkeley was mortified, and he actually fainted. When he came round, all 1,200 men were gone. He was left, stood in a field alone, with fewer than a dozen officers. It was hard to see how that could have gone any worse for Berkeley. When Bacon learned of this, he travelled to the Middle Plantation, what would become Williamsburg, only seven miles from Jamestown, and from there he sent out officers to every county to secure loyalty. He wanted to secure his position. He wasn't just going to let Berkeley get on with his counter-revolution in peace and quiet. Those who were not sufficiently loyal were prescribed as traitors to the people. This was at the end of July. When he heard that Bacon had turned around, Berkeley fled. This time, only four loyalists travelled with him, and he went into hiding. No one was sure where he was, but he had just sailed across the Chesapeake, and was on Virginia's eastern shore, the counties of Accomac and Northampton, which were holdouts for the old families, untouched by war. Twenty more joined him over the course of August. They brought with them arms which were supposed to be used for the campaign against the natives. It benefited the Berkeleyans from a military standpoint, but it did damage in terms of PR. Bacon was able to allege that Berkeley was putting the needs of himself above the needs of the many by harming the campaign against the natives. With Berkeley out of the picture, Bacon was able to control the council and called a revolutionary council made up of councillors and officers to meet on August 3rd at the Middle Plantation. 
Berkeley was declared a traitor, loyalty was pledged to Bacon, and a new assembly was to be created, elected by all free men and was to sit in Jamestown on September 4th. After the convention broke up, Bacon spent August taking land held by royalists and capturing what ships he could, and one Giles Bland was given the commission for capturing Berkeley and bringing the revolution over to the eastern shore of Virginia. Bland was not a supporter of Bacon, but he detested Berkeley. He represented something of a third voice to throw into this civil war. Berkeley, it must be remembered, was in his 70s. He was part of the old order. He liked the traditional way of doing things. If anything, he represents Charles I in the English Civil War, in opposition to Bacon, a Republican who opposed the monarchy and, as we've said, could be compared to Cromwell. Bland, if anything, represented Charles II. He was a royalist, but he was a new man too. He wanted to see the imperial power of London expanded at the expense of the old governors, such as Berkeley. Bland had spent his last few years in Virginia writing to London of how corrupt Berkeley was, estimating that corruption and tax evasion in the colony was costing the Crown £100,000 a year, a pretty large sum. Bland sided with Bacon's force, not because he supported them, but because he thought that any government which opposed Berkeley should be given a chance. But he would not go as far as opposing the monarch. This is how he ended up in the campaign against Berkeley. This began with an attack against the merchant ships which were still around Jamestown, and then he advanced to the eastern shore, which, in addition to Bland, was led by Captain William Carver, an able seaman who had joined Bacon because of his hatred for Native Americans. They managed to find Berkeley, and while there were very few loyalists left, Berkeley still commanded respect, and so they negotiated. While Berkeley kept them busy talking on land, his men used this as an opportunity, and a favourable wind, to recapture the flagship of the Virginian Navy, the Rebecca, on September 2nd. This gave the Berkeleyans control of the eastern shore, the bay, and the rivers. And it was also the first reversal that Bacon had suffered. Carver was hanged, and his men surrendered to the Loyalists, even though they greatly outnumbered them. With this victory, support began to grow for Berkeley, and he was able to gather a mercenary force. Though it is not clear how big this army was, there are numbers between 200 and 600. Berkeley set sail with his little fleet and managed to find another force of 100, and they all made their way to Jamestown. News of this was enough to scare away most of the 500 rebels garrisoning the town, and when Berkeley arrived and demanded surrender, the rest fled that night, September 7th. They landed on the morning of the 8th, and then spent a week plundering Jamestown while the rebels regathered. This, more than anything, highlights just how out of touch Berkeley had become. This was supposed to be the reimposition of order, but it spiralled out of control. You know what I noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan, even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press that, like a gangbanger, we'll get shot, or a truckload of shoulders will be blowing up, nobody panics because it's all part of the plan. 
But when I say that one little old male will die, well, then everybody loses their minds. Introduce a little anarchy, upset the established order, and everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, and you know the thing about chaos. It's fair. Wait, I, I may have gotten a bit carried away there. I just love Nolan's Rising. Bacon had been off attacking the remnants of the Powhatan Confederacy when he marched back, arriving with 136 revolutionary soldiers. They put Jamestown under siege, having control of the land. While Berkeley's ships were used to control the James River, which they used to plunder rebel plantations. On September 16th, the Loyalists launched a raid out against the besieging forces, but it was botched, and they were easily pushed back. While Bacon's forces captured what had been left on the battlefield, they defended themselves by putting in front of them a human shield of wives of the Loyalists. The next day, Bacon paraded Native American prisoners. This highlighted his appeal to the country folk, and highlighted how little Berkeley had done. It was a grim month. Rain kept falling, Bacon kept firing cannonballs at the town, and the Loyalist garrison lost morale, fleeing on the night of the 19th, ready for Bacon to enter Jamestown the next day. While Berkeley had been scared off for the moment, Bacon realised that he could not hold on to Jamestown without ships, so he set fire to the town that night. The key buildings, the symbols of Berkeleyan oppression, were destroyed. And most of the wooden warehouses were destroyed too. It really sends a message. Everything burns. Jamestown was really taking a beating in this war. I understand that it was a smart move that controlling manpower was far more important than controlling Jamestown in this war. But burning the settlement you're trying to rule just seems like quite a step. With respect, dear listener, perhaps Bacon is a man it's impossible to fully understand. A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones but their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones, but in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. Well, because he thought it was good sports. Because some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Sorry, I'm doing the Nolan thing again, aren't I? Damn it, Jamie. Uh, Anyway, the revolution moved from Jamestown back to seizing the plantation at Green Spring. And the rebellion got a lot more serious. They had already taken some pretty radical steps, such as mass manumission, Former slaves would be the most loyal elements of Bacon's force. But now there was something more serious to discuss. There was a disagreement between the moderates and the radicals in the rebel camp. The moderates wanted to reform Berkeley's administration, or at the very most, remove him as governor, and replace him with another member of the executive who would be more open to reform. There was precedent for this. They argued that it would be foolish to try anything more forceful. The Crown had more power than they did. 
if they were too open in their rebellion against Berkeley. They may break free for the moment, but this just ensured that England would send a more powerful force over and crush them. But this ignored some key points. Most of the population sided with Bacon. England was a long way away. Who said they'd be able to suppress revolt on the other side of the world? Plus, they didn't have to stand alone. The Dutch would certainly be interested in helping. So, it was decided. They had already gone this far. They might as well try for independence. It should be becoming clear why Bacon's rebellion is sometimes viewed as an early version of the Revolutionary War, but with the Dutch taking the place of the French. And with that, in September 1676, we'll end things for this week. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then be sure to visit the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, so you can sign up for membership. You can follow me on Twitter, at HistoryJamie, like the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, and if you have any questions, send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in a few days if you're one of those people who listens right away, but maybe in a bit longer, in case this is the podcast you deserve, but not the one you need right now. So maybe you'll wait a week, because it can take it. Because it's not our hero, it's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. (laughs) 